Today marks the start of our Advent Christmas season in many ways, and one particular Christmas song that is a favorite of mine is the song Silent Night. And it's not just because of the lyrics and the melody, it's because of an 1818, Father Joseph Moore would pen these lyrics, and we've been singing it ever since in our Christmas tradition. But more importantly than that, it kind of captures what the Christmas story behind the story is all about. Because as much as it was about one silent night, it was about 400 years of silent nights. And I'm calling this message today, Breaking the Silence, and there's a reason for that. Because as we look at Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2 over the next several weeks leading up to in our Advent celebration December 23rd, December 24th, and the end of this year. We have to deal with the 400 years of silence in order for us to understand the gospel of Luke. There's so much significance here. So let me give you a quick history lesson. 445 BC, before Christ, Nehemiah, he leaves Persia and he goes to Jerusalem to build, rebuild the wall. Then in 432 to 425 BC, Nehemiah, he's away and a prophetic word through Malachi comes into existence. And then in 424 BC, Nehemiah once again is on the scene and Malachi with Nehemiah together, prophetic leadership of Israel, they give the last words from God and then God just goes dark. 400 years separates Nehemiah, Malachi's last words And where we find ourselves in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And this period is known as the Old Testament and the New Testament. Other scholars would call it the intertestamental period. Or we would just like like to say it like this. It's the 400 years of silence. And the last words in the Old Testament, I'm going to read it for you. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says this. Malachi says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or I will come and strike the land with total destruction, darkness. It's kind of an eerie way to end. And then there's 400 years. And I want to ask you this. Where did God go? Where did he go? Did he just decide to put his feet up on on his lazy boy? Or was he in a bad mood? He's frustrated. He crosses his arms. Did he get in a good mood and the Christmas story begins? Who, what really happened? It's important for us to understand this because here's the deal. There is, in this audience here today, you men and women, children and teenagers alike, who maybe are in the middle of their own silent night. It, it seemed like to you, you've been in the middle of 400 years of silent nights. And if you can answer yes to the, any, the following statements I'm going to make, then there's a reason why you're here today. Has God ever seemed silent to you? Has it ever seemed like God took 400 years to answer your prayers? Have you ever felt like God answers other people's prayers, but for you, he never speaks, he never answers? Has God's silence ever caused you to wonder, is there even a God? It's caused you to dive into the realm of atheism or or some other form of agnosticism. Maybe you've prayed, it hasn't worked, and you just shut the door, and you came here today because you're with family from Thanksgiving uh, holiday, and you know what? You're like, yeah, that was me at one time, I believe, but no, I no longer believe. If you can answer yes to any of those silent night type of questions, there's a reason why you're here today, and I've been praying for you in particular. Because here's the scene. There's 400 years of silence, but God is not inactive. There's a lot going on. How many of you have been to a Broadway play before? 
Just raise your hand real quick. Okay, many of you have been to a Broadway play. A Broadway play, scene one, or act one opens, the curtain goes up, they're singing, there's dancing, or whatever the case is. Then the curtain goes down, act or scene one is over, everyone gets up, goes get their popcorn, their beverages, refreshment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of stretch your legs. You kind of, kind of get a break. Sometimes you wish that I would give you an act one and act two in my sermons maybe to get up and get back awake or whatever. But here's the thing. The curtain goes down after act one and you think that there's nothing happening. But behind the scenes, behind the curtain, there is hustle and bustle going on in this play. And there's all kinds of activity, even though in front of the curtain, nothing is seen. And this illustrates exactly what God was doing over these 400 years. You see, my friends, even though, even though there's silence, that doesn't mean that he's not Active. And so as we look at Luke chapter 1, I'm going to break this down a few different ways. And what I want to do is first I want to talk about Luke, Dr. Luke, and the story. And then I want to talk about the breaking news that Dr. Luke has. And then third, I want to look at how Dr. Luke gives us so many life lessons. But just I want to just camp on just a few uh, this morning. So let's, let's look at Luke chapter 1. Let's read our Bibles together. Luke chapter 1 verse 1. He, he begins this way. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who are made who were from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. You should name one of your kids that, Theophilus. What a great, you could name, call him Theo for sure. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So when did this happen? When is Luke writing this? He's writing this in 60, around 60 AD, okay? So it's, six, it's just a few years after the death of Christ. And as the storyteller of the true-to-life narrative of the words and deeds and experiences of Jesus Christ. And he's, he, he, Luke, he's a doctor, he's precise, he goes to these eyewitnesses, and he says, look, I wasn't there, but you were there from these apostles, from these disciples, what took place, and I wrote down in my Bible just a few things that I thought were interesting, the fact that present the case that God's will was completely demonstrated in the life of Jesus Christ. I wrote down just a few things that, first of all, Dr. Luke, he carefully investigates to make this gospel accurate. Secondly, there's an orderly chronological sequence that Luke presents things. Number three, there's this assurance. There's this undoubted truth. Look, you can take a lot of things away from the Bible, but you cannot, you cannot disprove so many of the historical things and ramifications from the gospel of Luke. And then he mentions Theophilus. He was a dignitary. Many people believe that he was discipled by either Timothy or the Apostle Paul. And make no doubt about it, Dr. Luke stamps the assurance approval on this gospel that it's accurate, that it's worth believing, and that it's worth basing your life upon. So he, he gives us a, the, the, the story, and then he goes into the, to the breaking news. Look at it with me in verse 5. Now, before you look at verse 5, let me set the scene for you. He, he, first of all, gives you a couple of characters. The first one is Zechariah, and he's a priest. And he, he, he is to serve two weeks in the temple, okay? And he serves two weeks in the temple and takes his turn. He rotates. And then his wife, Elizabeth, 
They, they have never had children. They're older in years, and, you know, they've bought several pregnancy tests along the way. It's never come up positive. And so, you know, they've just kind of put that dream aside. And they're like, you know, we're just going to be really good aunts and uncles, but we're never going to have children of our own. But in verse 5 you see what happens as a chain of events take place. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Uh, all of the pregnancy tests came up negative. That's just in my translation, all right? And then they were both very old. Once... When Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, now, now just look at this, okay, in verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. Yes, I how many of you would be gripped with fear? You come in here to worship God and an angel appears to the right of your seat and you're like, oh my. You would be uh, just stricken with fear and wonderment. This is exactly how Zechariah feels and in verses 11 and 12. He comes into contact with an angel, a messenger of God. God is about ready to break 400 years of silence right here. In verse, four, in verse 13, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're going to go to CVS. You're going to get the, you're going to get the pregnancy test. It's going to come up positive. And you are to call this little bouncing boy, John. He breaks the silence. 400 years and CVS gets their first marketing push right here, right in Luke chapter 1. And then in verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. That John, this boy is going to be a blessing. He's going to be a blessing not only to his family, but to people around the world. And look in verse 15. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. M m meaning this, that he's going to take the vow of a Nazarite, which means he's never going to drink a beer or wine. And he's going to be uh, empowered by the Spirit of God from an early age to do this prophetic ground-laying work for Jesus Christ, his cousin. Then in verse 16, it says, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Meaning this, that John's primary responsibility was to take people who are far from God in their hearts, far from God in their lives, and he would convict them through the Spirit of God, and they would turn back to God. That was his primary objective. Verse 17, And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the people to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That he is the fulfillment. He's getting ready to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's connecting the dots from Malachi chapter 4, verses 4, uh, 5, and 6. And then Zechariah's jaw is down here. And finally, Zechariah speaks. Look at it, verse 18. 
Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Have you ever asked that question in a moment of impossibility? How? Not wow, but how? How many of you are how kind of people? Yeah, many of you are. How? I can just see it now. I'm an old man and my wife is, and my wife is well along in years. That's a good way to say it. Good job, Zachariah. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed news. This is breaking news. And Zechariah has just heard it. And now he's going to be silent. And we continue to read in verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. I know why. We know why. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So he continues to work in the temple and he's able to give them signs perhaps or write things down to communicate, but he cannot speak. And then his wife is pregnant and finally she comes out of seclusion after so many months because now she's got the baby bump and they are ecstatic and she is so thankful and she's trusting in God and she declares her trust for God. And John, if you continue to read in the book of uh, Luke, the gospel of Luke, what you find is that John paves the way. And he later on, I wrote this down, he says this, he, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, it was John who began the movement of redemption. It was John who would usher in these words, born to you in so many ways. Now, from this, we find some, several life lessons and several things for you and I that impact our life. You see, the gospel, that Jesus would come, and this, this Messiah that would be born as we're going to uh, continue our Advent series, would implicate our lives in several different ways. The first life lesson that I want you to take note of in your listening guide there, if you want to get it out and you want to write this down and fill it out your listening guide together, it's this. Lesson number one, never confuse God's silence with God's absence. Never confuse God's silence with his absence. I would, I would say in a room this size, and with as many people are listening to me today, that you have, con, you have confused this at times. If God's silent, then he's not here. And Malachi puts the pen down, and as we already learned, there's a long, silent period and I mentioned earlier about the plays at the beginning. And there's act one. The curtain has come down. You're getting popcorn. There's nothing going on. But behind the scenes are all, is all of this hustle and bustle. And God is working behind the scenes to reorient things. And there's several things that he's doing behind the scenes in history that can be proven that actually connects you today sitting in a church service right now. The first one is Alexander the Great. 
In 360 BC, Alexander the Great comes on the scenes. The greatest military leader the world has ever seen. Alexander the Great conquers the known world. And there's one thing the great general says, you know what? We all need to communicate the same language. And he declares that Koine Greek will be the language that is communicated at the time. And as we learn a little bit later on, that has grave impact on our world today. The second major event that would happen is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire would come on the scene. And one of the things that the emperors were known to do in the Roman Empire is that they would lay an incredible groundwork. They begin to build the bridges in Louisville. No, I'm just kidding. But they were working on 65, weren't they? They still were working on 65. And I think it's going to be done in another thousand years. Anyways. So the empire has built these unbelievable roads. And when act one is over and the curtain is down and the curtain comes back up, Luke chapter one and two, the world is a different place. Number one, what is the number one language? Koine Greek. What is the New Testament written in? Koine Greek. The world is able to read the gospel, the good news, better than it ever had been written before. He had been working behind the scenes. And then the gospel of Jesus Christ is is paved on roads as the missionaries and disciples of Jesus would go from Jerusalem. Just as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Galatians 4 4 says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son. The time had fully come. Over 400 years, the time was fully there. God is working behind the scenes that even though he's silent, he's not absent. And, And maybe this morning, this Christmas season, your family struggles seem to be shouting. And God is seemingly silent. But that doesn't mean that you need to get busy. That doesn't mean that you need to try to control things. The Bible is full of men and women and teenagers alike who tried to control the situation when God just wasn't doing what he should in our own mind. Would you trust him? Because he's proven to be trusted over and over and over. Would you trust him this morning? The second life lesson that I want to share with you is this, that God's timing will always be right and have purpose. Number two, that God's timing will always be right and always have purpose. Look at Zechariah. Look at Elizabeth. Look at Mary. Look at Joseph. There was purpose and there was perfect right timing. First of all, that, that God's timeline is always right. Chuck Swindoll says it this way. God is never too early. He's never too late, but he's always on time. And all of those people in this room that love to be on time said, Amen. That's right. But God's timeline is always purposeful. Always purposeful. Did you know this? That God is working in your life, maybe even in a silent type of way to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus. Did did you know that he's shaping you? He's got sandpaper and and, and out, and you're like a block of wood in some ways, and he's just sanding the edges down. He's making you more and more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, so that you will emulate Jesus. You know, at the very beginning of my ministry, my wife and I were serving at a church together, and she's serving on staff. I'm serving on staff, and she's uh, working in the children's ministry area over fourth and fifth grade, and, and she had a leader that she worked alongside, and one day this leader walked up to her and said, Sarah, what is it like? And Sarah says, well, what do you mean, what is it like? And she says, what is it like living with Ray? Isn't it just like living with Jesus? 
Now, I'm offended you laughed, first of all. And second of all, that woman had a, just an incredible observation, I would say. And uh, as much as I would like that to be true, as much as I would love for that to be accurate, the purpose of God is to make you and I just like Jesus. That is, that's his purpose. And he's doing that even, even sometimes in the silence. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That This verse affirms this fact that his timing, it's purposeful, and it's always just right on time. Life lesson number three, never mistake your inability with God's ability. Never mistake your inability with God's ability. We're full of the word how, aren't we? Zechariah, what was his first word? How, right? Mary's first word after hearing that she was good, she was, the Holy Spirit's going to conceive Jesus. She was a virgin to incarnate the, the literal God of the universe inside of her. One of the first words she says, how? And right there, they're confusing their inability with God's Ability. And God declares in, in, in Luke, he says this, for nothing will be impossible with who? With God. It doesn't say nothing will be impossible with Ray. It doesn't say nothing will be impossible with Mike. It doesn't say nothing will be impossible, you know, with Dave. It doesn't say nothing will be impossible with Jenny. It says nothing is impossible with God. And that's a reminder to us all. That this God, who basically doesn't really, in his vocabulary, doesn't really use the word how. <laughs> that he can do whatever he wants, with whomever he wants, whenever he wants, at any time. We are full of inability, but he is full of eternal ability. And this is very impactful for our life. And here's why. Your marriage is not outside of the ability for God to redeem it. Did you know that? Th this is how this impacts it, that your financial situation is not outside of the ability of God's resources to be poured into your life. That your family situation, as broken as it may be, as in a, a wreck as it may be, is not outside of the help of Almighty God with His ability, even with your inability. If the, your theology, your ecclesiology, your Christology, with all of your theological undercurrents and knowledge this morning, they will never encompass, they will never completely summarize the greatness and vastness and the character of Almighty God. Because why? Because you have inability and God has ability. That he's a great God, and you will forever be in the process of learning this. No matter who you are, you will never have the corner on God. And your life may be crazy right now. We are entering this Christmas Advent season, and this evokes all kinds of memories, doesn't it? Deaths and families and divorces and brokenness and heartache. And, you know, like Elvis said, right, have a blue, blue Christmas. And that seems to be the color of our Christmas and this may be your viewpoint right now, but I want you to know, don't confuse your inability with God's sovereign ability in your life. Life lesson number four, 
God says it, we must do it. Life lesson number four, God says it. If he says it, we've got to do it. You see, when God speaks, listen. When God whispers, listen. When God speaks into your life, whether it is his Holy Spirit, whether it's his gentle prodding, or whether you're reading it in scripture, my friend, we've got to do it. We've got to obey. We've got to say, yes, sir. We have got to do what he says to do. I've said this before in this church, and I'll say it again. It's not enough just to know stuff. We have to do it. We have to be the doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, correct? If we don't, if we don't do it, there's nothing separating us than the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees that Jesus went directly into contact with in his life. If he says it, we must do it. That's exactly what he said to the disciples as he was leaving earth, Matthew 28, 20. It says, Jesus was telling them, look, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. Not to know everything I've commanded you, but to, but to what? To observe everything I've commanded. To, to put it into action. If he says it, well, then you better do it. And I think this is the hardest thing. This is the hardest life lesson, but this is possibly the most transformational this morning. And as I was thinking about this life lesson, I was thinking about um, this story that I once read. The story about two battleships in rehearsal of navigation in the seas. Because navigation in the seas can be extremely dangerous, and we know that to be true. And the story basically recalls one seaman, one soldier's perspective, and how it was greatly altered in regards to someone giving orders and somebody uh, doing it. And he, he recounts the story. He says it this way. He says, two battleships were assigned in the training squadron, and I was serving on one of the battleships. He says, the visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain of the ship, he's on the bridge, bridge and he's in direct lookout with other lookouts. Shortly after dark, one of the lookouts said to the captain, light bearing on the starboard bow. The captain said, is it steady or is it moving astern? The lookout replied, steady captain, which meant this, that they were on a collision course with another battleship. The captain then called out to the, 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 the signal man, signal that ship. We are on a collision course. Advise your ship changed course 20 degrees. Quickly, back came the signal from the other battleship. It says this, advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. Well, the captain is getting a little bit upset at this point. He says, look, I want you to send this back to that ship. Send, I'm captain, change course 20 degrees. The message comes back. Well, I'm a seaman second class, which is pretty low. Came the reply, you had better change course 20 degrees. By that time, the captain, he is mad. He is furious. And he spits out, I want you to send this back. Send, I'm a battleship, change course 20 degrees. And, caps, and back comes this flashing light that says, I'm a, I'm a lighthouse. You better change. <laughs> and what, what happened? What happened? The battleship changes course. When God says something, he's saying, look, I... I'm a lighthouse. You better change course because you are about to hit rock bottom. And, and what's so funny about that is that that's exactly what in the New Testament we're, we're to be like, aren't we? 
We're to be light on a hill, declaring the grace and mercy and truth and honesty and perfect good news of the gospel to those around us. You better watch out because you're about to hit rock bottom. If God says it, then we must do it. And I want to ask you this morning, what is God saying to you? Are you far from God this morning? God is saying to you right now, is it time that you would have a relationship with me? That you would come home to me? That you would understand that your brokenness is because you've walked away from me in your sin and the only way for your brokenness to be repaired is through the gospel that you would repent and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ? That you would repent, that you would turn from your sin, you'd, you would turn back to God and say, God, would you save me? to repair my brokenness, that I have a relationship with you and you could recover the design God has for your life. Is that you today? You need to obey him today. Maybe you're with family members today. I'm speaking right to you and you're visiting. You're not even from this area. God's speaking to you. Maybe you need to obey him. You've never been baptized. You've never gone public with your faith. And you, you were, in just a few weeks, we're going to have an, an awesome baptism celebration, the very last Sunday in the month or in the year of 2017. What a great way to end the year and start 2018. To be baptized. You've never done it as a, as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to obey God. Perhaps you've been visiting this church and today is the day that you would join this church. You say, you know what? Today I want to take steps to make this church, this ministry work, my home because of what God is doing through this place. Maybe that God has been calling and speaking to you for some time. And you, to be honest with you, you just keep on stiff-arming him. And this morning he's saying, look, I'm calling you to it. And now I want you to do it. And today is a day you need to take a step and you need to move. And you need to take that moment of obedience in your life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an action that he's calling you to. Maybe it's a neighbor that he wants you to reach out to. Invite to one of our Born to You preaching series coming up. Maybe he wants you to invite a loved one to our Christmas celebration on the 23rd and 24th. I don't know what it is, but my friend, he's calling you and you know it and you need to adjust course 20 degrees. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to do it in a visible way this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, I'm going to have you get up from where you are. And if you would so be willing to come to this altar and just tell God, I'm changing course. And maybe you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you to my left or my right. There'll be counselors with badges on. Maybe you need to just come to this altar and say, I'm changing course. Or maybe you need to tap one of us on the shoulder and say, I'd love to. I'd love to say yes to Jesus and do exactly what he says I need to do.